Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 48, and it takes a turn here. We've had two chapters of God taunting the, the gods of Babylon. He names them right in that last chapter, uh, two chapters ago, Nebo and Baal. You know, and then it turns to Babylon itself. Babylon, you know, you're going to, it's going to be like Cinderella at midnight turning to a pumpkin. Your, your time has come. And all of this seems to be aimed at the enemies of God when all of a sudden in 48 here, suddenly it seems like God has turned his attention, his negative and condemning words to Israel itself. What are you guys doing? Why are you asleep? Why are you blind? Listen to me. So why is God talking this way to his own people? What's going on here? Why doesn't he just speak, keep speaking these words um, against, against the enemies? Uh, and I think that we see here something that's really just a wake-up call for us as well, that you know, lest we think that God is only speaking words of judgment and log for all those people out there, and you know, good job, Pastor, you really let them have it. Really, we have that same sinful nature around our own necks and we need to be woken up and uh, have have someone help us come to our senses uh, which happens profoundly when we hear those words of law and gospel joining us today we uh i'm very excited about this we have a guest here who's making a splash at kfuo we haven't had him on the program many times before in fact it'll be our first time together we've got pastor matt tuman pastor of emmanuel lutheran church in what is this? What 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 Payton? Wapeton? Wapton. 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 South Dakota. Apologies. North Dakota. To, North Dakota. Oh, really? In my notes here, it says SD. Uh, that should be nope, ND. It, it should be ND. Yep. Okay. We well, are we'll in the southern sure. part of North Dakota, but it is still North Dakota. So. In southern North Dakota. <laughs> yes, Southern North Dakota. So. <laughs> Very good. We'll make sure that we uh, we have our studio update their notes. Wapiton. So, what what is someone from Wapiton called a Wapitonian? Uh, I suppose I just have <laughs> never heard that before. So, but it means a uh, leaf dweller village. So, leaf dweller village. Yeah, that's. That, uh, look, Learn something new every day. Well, well, welcome. Good morning, brother. How are you and your fellow uh, leaf leaf dweller villagers doing? Leaf, leaf dweller, <laughs> yes. Uh, I think we're doing all right. We are anticipating some some snowy weather, um, uh-huh. but but yeah, we're doing fine. So How, looking, how's everything? Looking forward to Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. How's everything gearing up for Thanksgiving? All all the grocery stores devoid of turkeys at this point already? I, they're all gone. So, yeah. yep. <laughs> so. Very good, very good. Well, yeah, it's good to, it's good to have you on uh, together. Looking forward to digging into this chapter. It It, it is kind of surprising. It comes, comes at you like this left hook, right? Like you've got these chapters, it's all against Babylon, and all of a sudden um, God's gunning for his own people, looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I think it's because he's very passionate about his people. And, uh, um, I'm, I, I'm always astounded to hear that God is a jealous God, um, after yeah. this chapter 20. And, uh, he's very passionate about his people and he wants to, to keep his people, but he wants not only to keep his people, but he wants them to be a holy people. And, right. um, and that is his pursuit. And that is, uh, 
you know, his, his desire to keep his people, his jealousy for his people, I think, is what motivates our God. It's actually out of love. So. Right. Yeah, no, and, that, and that's such a challenge, right? Like that, that in love, you know, you're, you're trying to help somebody, but, you know, we're our own worst enemies. And so if you in love are going to help somebody, you have to help this person deal with themselves. And, and so it's a, this is where love kind of, uh, you know, it kind of takes on that kind of tough love sort of form. And here, here's God. Um, it seems, you know, if you just kind of look at the words quickly, like seems like he's being harsh, but I mean, it really is for their own good, lest they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, so to speak. Right, right. Well, and uh, I'm reminded uh, of uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, it is for discipline that you have, have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And it applies to the people of Israel back in Isaiah's day, and it applies to the people of Israel in today, which is the church. So, Yeah, right. yeah that, that's very helpful. Thank you for bringing in that piece of Scripture there. I, I think it makes a lot of sense to us, right? Like, you know, we discipline our own children, but, you know, if we're um, interacting with uh, someone else's child, right? We kind of hesitate to, <laughs> you know, uh, insert ourselves into the situation and discipline uh, quite the same way. We kind of we kind of hold our hand and we say, "Well, okay, I'm gonna have to talk to your your parents, and they'll have to figure out what to do with you, right?" But um, you wouldn't discipline, you know, somebody else's child in the same way. And so, when we do receive discipline, it um, it, it is actually just another sign that you know we really are the children of God. Right, exactly. All right, well, let's go ahead and begin here. And as we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening to us today, this day before Thanksgiving? Sure, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. We give you thanks for this day. Uh, we know, Lord, that you have come to us. You have said, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Lord, we know that it is with your presence that you bring uh, the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. It is a gift you have given to us. And we are thankful for that gift. Lord, we pray that you guide and direct us today as we study your word. Uh, Lord, that uh, we would grow and mature in the faith that you have given to us. And uh, Lord, we proclaim your name, and we celebrate what you have given, and we give thanks to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started with the first several verses here. We can read those, and then we can kind of ask the question, okay, so how does this follow in the context here? How's this set up for the rest of the chapter? Well, let's just start with the first, uh, maybe just actually, let's just start with the first two verses. I mean, kind of ask some of those introductory questions then. So here we are. I'll I'll go ahead and read. I can go ahead and read the first two verses, and then you can kind of jump in with your thoughts. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, let's go ahead. Isaiah chapter 48, verses 1 and 2, English Standard Version. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, 
who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. All right. So, I mean, it, it would almost sound good, <laughs> this first part, except that you have this key phrase here right in the middle, but not in truth or right. So what's right, going on here and how is this uh, like Bottle 147? Right, yeah. So it's like, um, uh, you know, outwardly they, uh, they look right. They do. They seem like they follow uh, and confess. Um, but I think the Lord is m maybe reading something we can't read, and that's their heart, and that there is still idolatry that is afflicting uh, his people. And uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is something the Lord uh, cannot let stand. Right. So. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, what, as you were putting it into your own words, it reminds me of what we saw way back in Isaiah 29, as people draws near with their mouth and honors me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Uh, it, it's, it's very reminiscent of that, where it's like this kind of, you know, yeah, we acknowledge God and we, well, we, we, yeah, we're, we're the people of God. We're the Judeans we're, we're Israel. Right. But I mean, but what's going on in the heart is the question. Right. And, and the Lord is the one who knows the heart and, uh, and he's the one that can make that judgment. Um, uh, Romans chapter 12, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Why? Because he can see everything and he knows everything that's going on in a person's heart, in a person's life, and the context of the world around them. And so you can see how this, this, would, this would very easily happen in the context of the exile, how here, here you have, you know, these, these Judeans who, and we, and we saw this when we were looking at um, Ezra, all the different names that were going on, that especially at first during the exile, Everyone was maintaining their their Hebrew, you know, Jewish names, right? Names that had, you know, things like, you know, Yahoo or Yeho or, you know, all those different variants of the name of God, right? And stay themselves on the God of Israel, it says in verse 2, right? And and so, you know, there they are, and they're calling themselves Jerusalemites and Ju Judahites and all the rest, right? Israelites, you know, so they have the name, but are they still acting like the people of God or have they started to just blend in like everybody else? Oh no, I know that it's, we have a, I have a weird name, but I'm, I'm just a normal person. You know, I'm not a crazy, you know, religious fanatic. I, I'm just like everybody else here in Babylon. Right. And incorporating, uh, practices of the people that are around them. Um, uh, even, uh, accepting their, uh, false, ideas and concepts i think uh, we do experience that in this in in our own context that there is uh people who call themselves christians people who call themselves followers of jesus and yet they don't uh, say what jesus says um that he's the way the truth and the life and that no one comes to the father except through him and uh, it's very similar uh maybe there's nothing new under the sun right Right, and so this really does follow well after chapters 46 and 47 because we get all these, you know, these words against the, the idols of Babylon and against Babylon itself. Um, but it's not like God is picking on the Babylonians because they have the wrong last names or, you know, because, uh, you know, they had the wrong grandparents or something like that. You know, God is not, um, you know, this kind of tribal God in this very, like, limited sense where he's saying, like, oh, well, you know, this is these are my sorts of people and those are not 
Um, you know, he judges the heart. He he loves justice and righteousness and truth. And so when you align yourself against uh, justice and righteousness and truth and all the and all the things that God has called us to, um, and you just hang on to the name of God, or you know, we've talked about before, you just uh, kind of nominally hang on to the the idea of the temple. When you just kind of hang on to all the the trappings without the actual substance, well, then you're really you really are just actually a Babylonian by another name. Right. Right. So, so these are the first two verses that have really sounded the alarm that, hang on a second, don't, don't just kind of take chapters 46 and 47 all comfortably, like, oh, yeah, those are words of law for somebody else. Um, and, and then he continues here, and it really just kind of goes from, um, from, from harsh to, to harsher here, the, um, it, focusing on the ideas of the, of the idols here. Let's go ahead and read uh, maybe just the next three verses starting in verse 3 then. The former things I declared of old. They went out from my mouth, and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass, because I know that you're obstinate, and your neck is as an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. And, and, and this part's just brilliant, right? Because uh, here he goes and he takes like the carved images and the metal images, right? And he compares the people to those images. And he says that your neck's like iron, your forehead's like brass. You, you've gone and you've become like the very dead idols that you yourselves have made and bowed down to. Right. And, uh, and, and I, I like that because there is always a correlation between idolatry and yourself. Um, uh, if you uh, have an idol, um, if you carve something out of wood, um, uh, then and what have you done? You've taken and you call that God. What have you done? You've taken that item and you formed it and shaped it. You make it do what you want it to do. In the end, um, idolatry is ultimately always about yourself. That you've right. made yourself in charge of your own life, and uh, and in the end, that's. Uh, the trap, I think, of, of idolatry. It's right. old. You can be like God. Yes, so. yes, yeah. right. We, we, make, we make idols in our own image, like ourselves, and then we end up becoming like our idols, like we become our own, our own parodies. We become our own caricatures. You know, you, you, you bow down to a wooden block, and you're going to become a blockhead, to kind of, mm -hmm. you know, put it in a English idiom here, you know, and so it's striking because, you know, we, we know from, from history about some of the practices that were going on uh, with all this idol worship. And it's just, it's just a way of basically almost like, uh, you almost think of it like putting a, a light through a magnifying glass where it like just focuses the beam or something like that. It's just kind of concentrating kind of all the worst aspects of of human beings and you know you take all the, the the terrible things that happened in all that idol worship and it's just a way of i don't know just magnifying uh, all our worst features right well when i look at these verses though i i see uh the lord is actually uh pointing out that it i mean obviously idolatry is a silly thing i mean it is the silliest thing of all how can 
how can I, a created being, make a god? Uh, it's an impossibility. How can I, a created being, be God? Um, but God is, I, I think here, the Lord has, has given us a, a little picture of what he does. Um, uh, he tells what he's going to do before he does it, and then he does it. And um, he's pointing that out. Um, lest you think that your idols did this, lest you think maybe that you have done this, Right. Um, you know, this has been foretold from ages before. Um, I, I'm reminded of uh, the Lord's uh, words to Abraham that uh, um, uh, that it would be 400 years before his family would occupy the Promised Land, would come into the Promised Land, and uh, that's because the sin of the Amorites was not yet fulfilled, complete uh, to the greatest degree. And uh, um, but. 400 years later, what happens is they come out of Egypt, and they come into right. the Promised Land. And, uh, and who did it? And, and I think the Lord's point is, I mean, I told you this was going to happen. Don't think this was done by you or by your idols. I did this, it is, and I did it for you. Uh, you are my people. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely God mercifully speaking into the situation. You know, you've got like a, literally thousands of gods floating around you know, of every different city, basically, of every different, you know, last name out there. There's another God behind it. And if you just take that kind of natural way of looking at life, you, you say, well, maybe maybe it's because of this, maybe because it's because of that. Maybe it was just an accident. Maybe it's just a fluke. And, you know, wh what do we ascribe things to? Where do we see the purpose of things? And mm -hmm. it's because God speaks to us through his word that we actually are given a guiding light and we're not just guessing at you know the meaning of history or or why something happened we actually know it's from the hand of god i mean this is this is exactly. why this word's so important because without the word we're just guessing we're just making stuff up right and i ironically uh i participate in a wednesday morning uh bible study here in wapaton and uh, we are studying Acts chapter 3, and it just really struck hard that this is something God continues to do. Um, uh, Acts 3, verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets so long ago. So then, so there's something that was spoken by the prophets and is fulfilled, and now there's something uh, spoken again uh, through the Lord, uh, uh, from the mouth of the Lord, that is yet to come, and we should expect it. He's going to do it. Right. Well, you know, this this actually makes me. Uh, we should probably m move on to the rest of the, this first half of the chapter soon. But th this actually, as you were reading that, just makes me think. I wonder, do you think that there's a particular pros prophecy here that's being pointed here, pointed to here that you know he's saying like, hey, you know, back in I don't know, like you know Isaiah chapter twelve, or you know back in you know it's one of, one of the earlier prophets, you know, this whole you know exile and deliverance from exile thing was was already said. Um, I mean, like, do you, do you think there's something in particular that's being referenced, maybe even something cryptic back in, in Moses? Or do you think he's just kind of in a general way talking about it, like, hey, you know, Isaiah came onto the scene like uh, over 100 years before the exile. What do, you, what do you suppose? I can't really answer your question, but I can't help but think about the Exodus. The Exodus seems like a, 
a a very strong point in the in the history uh, of Israel where this is actually happening, where this is right. where there's there's things prophesied, things fulfilled. Hundreds of years later, it happens. Um, and, you know, it kind of gives us the idea that the perspective God has the long term view. He has the eternal view, but he he understands. But he does things. He speaks it and he he fulfills it. I I. I I, I can only think of the Exodus at, at this point. I'm sure there are other things that could apply. Um, I'm not sure that there's one particular thing. I'd have to explore that a little more. I, I like what you're saying, though, because, I mean, like in the context of Acts, for example, I mean, like, you know, when the apostles, they go and they preach, you know, they're taking all these, you know, psalms, for example, that originally were, were spoken of by, you know, by David in his own situation, right? But they're going and they're applying them to Christ. And so it's it's not as if, Oh, those old prophecies—they weren't really talking about David. Like it, it, they were secretly talking about something that would happen, like over a thousand years later. I think the idea is it's like you know it's a pattern, right? So right. just like you were saying, like how you know God talks about this pattern of Exodus. Well, the pattern is happening again, and now since you know what the pattern looks like, you know, here you are, and you shouldn't be surprised. You know, like you, right. if you if you had been paying attention, you you could have seen this coming, like. I, I do think that that a lot of a lot of prophecy is like that. That it seems like there is this, you know. And, and actually, Isaiah has been telling us this all along, right? He said that Assyria, the rescue from Syria, was like a second Passover. He's saying here that the return from exile is like a second Exodus. He made the comparison himself. So I, I do I do like the idea that that is kind of what he's repeating here. But right. as I was saying, we need to make sure we try to at least get halfway through this. Let me go ahead and read through verse 11, and we can just start talking about it. We can talk about it more after our break in a couple minutes, but let's read verses 6 through 11, getting us to about the halfway point in the chapter. Verse 6, You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago, before today you'd never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened, for I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as of silver, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So only a minute here before our break. But, I mean, it seems like in those verses the theme is, is just very clearly, it's for my own sake, not yours. You, you've been a rebel the entire time, <laughs> but, but I'm not going to give my glory to another. Why would I let my name lose its honor and glory right and uh and he has a plan and i think that that's pretty clear in this too that he's going to do something and he's he's already so you kind of hinted is this uh is this a is this a is this refer is were the previous verses three four or five referring to something particular or something more general but i do think that there's something in, in what he's saying is that there's there's more to this than meets the eye and mm-hmm. you, you have not been able to see or hear. You have not heard it yet, but it's there. And um, and I'm here now to to give it to you, to, to uh, that you do hear it, and then are able to confess it too. 
Right. So yeah. So yeah. Right. I think it's a good way of putting it. There, there's more to this than, than meets the eye. There's there's more going on here than than you expected. Something. It's not just going to be the same thing all over. There is going to be something about this that's bigger that you couldn't have predicted. So right. let's hold let's hold on to that thought. I think we can talk about it a little bit more when we get back. But we have to go into our break now. Everybody, hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter forty eight here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Hello, I'm Sergeant Jamie Brunworth with the Illinois State Police, but my kids call me mom. I understand being worn out from taking care of a baby. As parents, we are constantly getting up throughout the night to take care of feeding or diaper changes. It seems like an easy solution to bring your infant into your bed. But in 2018, 143 Illinois infants died when a tired, loving parent rolled over on them in their sleep. Keep babies in their own bed. Don't love your kids to death. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 48 today, and we're joined by Pastor Matt Tuman, pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Wapaton, North Dakota. We also want to invite you to check out tomorrow on Thanksgiving and Black Friday. We do have a couple of nice uh, special episodes on the Psalms, Psalms 105 and 106, those Psalms of Thanksgiving. So check those out. Turn those on when you're trying to figure out what to do with the turkey uh, it makes for something nice if you've got some uh, snowy or rainy weather, look like it looks like what we have in store for ourselves. You know, good to just kind of uh, have that on inside where, where it's nice and warm. So, but until then, we have here on this day before Thanksgiving this this really interesting chapter where God is for the sake of His own people trying to say, "Hey, d- wake up to this. There's something new going on. Don't, don't just roll your eyes and say, okay, yeah, sure. You know, this is the same old, same old. No, this is something new going on. Wake up. Uh, and, and we were just, we were just saying that here. Uh, we just, we're looking at, you know, this verse in, uh, 11, right. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. There, there's something that's kind of, I think the paradox with when, when God shows up to save on the one hand, 
it's going to be kind of the same way that he always saves. It's going to be like in the pattern of the Passover or the Exodus, right? It's going to be in the pattern of, of creation. The descriptions are always going to sound like the Garden of Eden being restored, right? So there's something always familiar, but it seems like every time God shows up, there's something bigger and different and unexpected about what he's doing. And this seems to be no exception here with the return from exile. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you still with us, brother? Yeah, I am. Um, I, I agree. And one of the things that um, I, I, uh, I thought about uh, as I was thinking about these verses themselves was uh, um, John 8, where uh, Jesus says, uh, where it is written, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard. From your father and i think jesus is just pointing out that there's more than meets the eye to the exodus um they said they didn't they've never been enslaved they forgot that they were enslaved in egypt and jesus is reminding them and then expanding you are a slave to sin and we are slaves to sin and we must right. be free right. so, well i wonder i wonder too you know that that's a, that's always been a verse that i've that i've um pondered and I wonder if they are in some ways arrogantly thinking that they have somehow surpassed their ancestors, that they're saying like, well, you know, you know, way back when, yes, you know, Israel was enslaved in Egypt and, you know, yeah, there was that situation where, you know, we were, we were kind of a, a vassal of, of Assyria or, you know, later of Persia. And of course there was that, that was that really bad generation that, you know, because of their sin and their idolatry, they just got exiled into Babylon. Right. But, we, on the other hand, you know, we've been really good. We've been really well behaved, and God hasn't needed right. to punish us. We haven't been slaves to anybody. Like, I, I wonder if they're actually trying to say that, like, you know, we're we're kind of more advanced and we're we're more spiritual than they were, and we our religion is pure. Than but they claim the name. They, they claim we are sons of Abraham. Yeah, so, yeah. So well, yeah, right. Like we're we're like the more like purified, you know, right. Abrahamites, right? Like the, this, the, the, well, we are. We are the Judah that was always meant to be, or something like that. And that that really flies against what uh, the Lord commanded uh, to remember the Passover. Um, in English, this means we we do it in our head. But the truth of the matter is, in Hebrew, the whole idea is you're actually living the original event, and and they're supposed to live the Passover, uh, not uh, in, in each in each year. And and if you are living the Passover in each year, you are living. The, the movement uh, from slavery to freedom, and right. uh, they forgot that. So no, that, that's true. Like if you if you really remember these things, you're not going to arrogantly think to yourself like that you've somehow, I, I don't know, risen above your your ancestors right. here. But I, I think also, so, yeah, that's exactly right. You're part of it. You see yourself in that, and you say like that, that was me. You know, I mean, and really because as you said uh, earlier, you know, we are the people of Israel. We've been grafted in. So when we, when we look at this history, we should never think to ourselves like, oh, man, God had to like, you know, uh, you know, kind of slap some sense into them. Like they were just so dense. They were blockheads. Right. Isn't that what he says back in verse uh, verse like around four and five? 
Um, but no, that he was he was telling that to us. This is what we needed. You know, we exactly. we were the ones who were blind and deaf and stubborn and and arrogant and all the rest of it, right? So that that's yeah. part of it. And then I think maybe the other part of it is it's just that as time goes on, we realize that the problem. And as you were reading from John A, the slavery just goes deeper and deeper than we ever suspected. That God has to show up in bigger and bigger ways because we keep, as we go along, realize more and more and more just how broken human nature is. And even as things seemingly get better, right, it, we, we somehow prove again and again that we manage to gum it all up, even with the best of circumstances. And I feel like this really just rings true for us here in 2019 because, you know, we're, we're here just, you know, thankful for so many things and all of our creature comforts and Amazon Prime and all the rest, right? And it's just like life is fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, but what, yeah, what we, does it, we go ahead. I mean, what does it mean for us to remember our baptism? Um, yeah. We remember our baptism every day. We live in it, and it's a gift that God and gives to us, and we need it all the time, every day of our lives. And He comes and He gives it. Right. Right. No, exactly. We, we we need to remember. We need to remember. We need to remember the Passover, which is what we do every Sunday, right? When we have the the Lord's body and blood. That, that is, this is the the true. Passover for the forgiveness yep. of sins. Our Lord Jesus was the true Passover lamb to take away the sins of the world. And so we remember, we, we, we don't just think in our heads, we, we, re, we relive it, we embody it. Um, and, and when God shows up and he comes to save in every generation, um, he really is more and more showing us how, yes, how deep the sin problem goes, um, and then just how much deeper his love goes. You know, his light only rises to match the growing darkness. And, you know, you think about that, like, you know, when, when Luther came around, it was kind of figuring out, like, you know, like, whoa, like our, our sin is like so bad that, you know, we, uh, we we somehow kind of pervert, you know, the whole system so that we're confident in our salvation because of what, what we do. And we find new ways of turning this into to works righteousness, even when we have the whole gospel here before our eyes, yeah. you know, this is what this is what sin does. And it seems like every generation has to come to a struggle with this, that we realize, wow, even though we've had so many additional benefits and blessings, we have found new ways to pervert what God's given us. We realize just how our sinfulness goes deeper than we ever imagined. But God, in the same ways that he always has, but in new ways that he shows to, to humble us and to inspire us to praise, it is going to come to save us. And there's no, there, there's no depth of sin that's going to somehow outmatch God. Yeah, that's his passion. You know, that's what he desires. He wants to keep his people. Uh, that's his treasure. I think, I think when we look at that last line, my glory I will not give to another, I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, in Revelation talks about crowns and jewels and crowns. What is that? That's, I think that's people, and, and the Lord really wants to keep his people and, uh, and, 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 and uh, keep what belongs to him. And uh, he is in pursuit, and he will not be overcome uh, by evil. He won't even be overcome by our uh, fruitless attempts at self-justification and return to idolatry. He always bring, he, he will bring his people uh, to himself. 
Right, because he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and that that seems to be what this is, kind of in a some in a way kind of restating, but yet in a new way, right? Where he says, you know, for my name's sake, I defer my anger; for the sake of my right. praise, I restrain it for you, and all the rest. You know, he's this is God kind of speaking in the same pattern, but in a, in a different way to 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 bring the point home. Uh, last, last thing on this before we move on, because we do need to move on to the second half of the chapter. But what do you think of this verse 10? You know, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. What What is that getting at for those of us who are uh, less than familiar with the nuances of refining metal? <laughs> um, I am not familiar with the nuances of refining metal, but I would assume uh, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Um, uh, so I am not certain about the silver, um, but I do know that, uh, that suffering is something that God gives. Um, he has given it, uh, since death, uh, every kind of suffering is an incremental experience of death and, and, and it is the Lord that has given it to him. I'd have to explore the silver bit a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe you know something about it. So. Well, I don't. I don't know if I know very much, except that I know that he's used the idea of, of refining metals before, and I think he mentioned uh, at some point earlier on in Isaiah the idea of re- referring, re- refining silver and burning all the dross away. This idea of right. um, having to like you got you got to stick this thing into a fire if you're going to burn off all the other stuff that isn't really silver. And so I, I wonder if this if this negation here is just saying like. You know, I didn't just stick you in the fire. I stuck you in the fire of exile. Like he's just, you know, it's just kind of one of those. Like he's he's saying, like not like that because it's even greater than that. Um, if yeah, that's supposed intense. to be, yeah, right. And so, as you were saying, the furnace of affliction. Well, what's death? I mean, if suffering is an incremental experience of death, what's death? It is the destruction of that which is. Uh, it. I mean, in our in our sinful nature. Uh, we don't. We don't. Uh, we don't. Uh, we're not. We're not at all uh, qualified to be in the presence of God or in His kingdom. And what does God do in order to keep His people? He must kill us and bring us through death into new life. And so, yes, uh, I think you're right. I think there's an ex- there's an extreme uh, beyond the 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 purification of metals. Right. Well, and, and like just, you know, and this is the image that you have like in Ezekiel, that the, the idea, the exile was like like God had to kill his whole people collectively in order to resurrect the whole people, you know. And then, of course, this, this just gets um, in the same way that we're talking about in a pattern, but in a new way when the Lord Jesus is killed and then made alive. I mean, it's just even more Absolutely. dramatic than, than even this exile here. Let's go ahead. We got to get on to the second half of the chapter here. I'm going to break it down into two chunks. And I want to save some time for verse 22, because even though we are going to see this line in verse 22, the last verse of the chapter um, later on in Isaiah 57, it is just such an interesting line. It's somehow made itself into the way of our just contemporary, even English idiom. So I think it's kind of interesting to reflect on and consider. Um, but I'm going to read the, just break this down into two parts here. So I think I can go through verse 19 here, um, and then we can kind of just save that last part to still have a few minutes to focus on it. Sounds good. So, I look forward to that. All right. all right. So here we go. Verse 12 then. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called. 
I am he, I am the first, I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand, and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. So, yeah, this section's just very uh, b bittersweet, right? Like, on the on the one hand, you know, like, you know, hear me, Jacob, you know, I'm the first, I'm the last, and, you know, the, the Lord loves him. He's going to perform his purpose. It sounds good, but then, kind of again, kind of also backing off and saying, oh, you know, had you paid attention, then you would have had peace like a river. You would have had offspring like the sand. You know, I mean, it's... Uh, it's it's just a little bit of both here, you know, like God is so mm -hmm. good, but if it hadn't been for your sin, it could have been better. Right, right. I see, uh, I see 12 through 16 and, uh, and, uh, and 17 also as, you know, we, I think this is really speaking of Christ. Uh, there's an intimacy with creation. Uh, he has the power of creation. He has the power of redemption. Uh, our Lord Jesus is the right hand of the father. Um, uh, as we, hear uh, the Word of God, uh, uh, there is salvation. Um, this is something that uh, is a part of our faith as Christians. And John 1, and the Word became, uh, John 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was made that was made apart from the Word. And uh, um, I, I think uh, the, the power of creation is the same power of redemption, and he is going to bring it to bear. Um, but, yeah, then he comes back, and there's almost a lament in 18 and 19. Um, I, uh, you know, if only uh, you had, had been obedient. Uh, think of what life could be uh, uh, in, in obedience. All the way back to Adam and Eve. What, you know, having, you know, how often have I thought to myself, I wish we had not eaten that piece of fruit, you know? And I think that's <laughs> the same kind of lament. Uh, I yeah. wish you all would not have eaten that fruit. And... Uh, but because you have, I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to, I'm going to do this, and I, I'm. It's like I'm going to set my my chin toward J Jerusalem. Same kind of concept, uh, you know. Right. It's it's the truth. It's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. The, these verses, they just. Um, yeah. I mean, they re they really are just the the part that I think grabs my attention the most. I mean, they are, as you said. I think that as we read them, they. They, they sound like it's just, you know, Jesus speaking here, right? You know, the Lord loves him, right? That language there. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon. I mean, this just sounds like revelation, you know, our, our Lord, you know, coming to defeat the, the powers of Babylon. It, it says, you know, Babylon representing, of course, 
not not an empire that has passed away long ago, but right. um, the embodiment of evil and and uh, all the things that are opposed to God. Um, and then you know, in verse at the end of verse sixteen, right? And now the Lord has sent me and His Spirit, right? I mean, that's just. I mean, this just this just feels like our Lord Jesus at his baptism with this view of the Trinity, right? Um, and, and and so yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It, it sounds it sounds like Jesus, and I think that Jesus becomes like the bigger fulfillment of this Isaiah forty eight here. This um, this image of you know here is God uh, sending His Son, and His Son speaking on His behalf in, in the in the local context. Yeah, I, I more think, than meets the eye. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, there's more than meets the eye here. And and in the local context, I, I think this is actually going back to Cyrus again, where I think that that's kind of what makes sense to me of of, of 17 through 19 then. Because, you know, you know, it says here, uh, the Lord loves him, he shall perform his purpose. I mean, he's talking about Cyrus. It's like, because we've talked about this before, that the word love there, it usually means something along the lines of like, he is like an ally to you know he's on the same side of and the, and the lord yeah the lord has actually brought cyrus of persia right in, into uh his side to perform his 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 purpose and to achieve his goals mm-hmm. right his judgment right his just judgment right and so even though he's himself a, a wicked pagan king um he's going to at least for the moment serve the righteous purpose of god you know and and, and he shows up and he says yeah the lord god has sent me uh, yeah, I mean, that's, and that's what he's going to say. He's going to say that the reason I was able to take Babylon is because uh, the the God who sees over this whole region, right, and and the whole world is the one who let me do it. And I feel like the reaction of the people, as we've seen again and again, is like, oh my goodness, how could you, how could you say this? That Cyrus is the shepherd of God. That was the one term. You know, Cyrus is the the Messiah of God. He's an anointed one. You know, how could you say these things about Cyrus? And it's like, well, here's the answer. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. <laughs> then right. your peace would have been like a river. It's like, well, you know, maybe we wouldn't be in the situation where a foreigner has to be like, you know, the, the, the promised one, right? The, the, the one who's been chosen, right? Maybe we wouldn't have had to have the Persians getting us out of this if you hadn't been so stubborn, if you had followed the commandments of God. But because you went and did that, because you went and, you know, bit the apple, like you were saying earlier, then this is the mysterious way that God saves us now. Um, because even though you would expect and you would hope for just a big, glorious salvation from the clouds, now God saves you through mysterious, dark things, things that look right. like a cross. By controlling death. It, it, and uh, um, I, I, along those lines, you, you know, the more than meets the eye thing, I, I always like to think, you know, um, was it good or evil that... Uh, um, that Judas betrayed his friend Jesus? Was it good mm-hmm. or evil that, uh, that Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin and falsely accused? Was it good or evil uh, that he was put in that square and, and flogged? Was it good or evil that he had that uh, cross down the Via Della Rosa? Was it good or evil that the soldiers pounded the nails in his hands? Was it good or evil that it, the cross was dropped into that hole? Was it good or evil that they mocked him while he was on the cross? Um, all of this, was it good or evil? Well, it was evil. But God does what he wants with it. He makes evil, and he makes death do what he wants it to do, and it is for the good of those who he calls his own. Amen. So, you know, even though on the one hand, 
like, you know, there is this sense, like in verse 18, like, you know, we wish that we hadn't gone and, you know, picked the hard way, basically, right? You right. know, we, you know how, how much better would it have been had we not gone and done this and put God to the test and all the rest? Yet, yet because God is merciful, because, as he says, he does defer his anger and he restrains his anger, right? And because he does give us his discipline because he loves us, right? He still works good even out of the evil. And so, yeah, even it's like, well, okay, guys, you know, like going back to Hezekiah in 39, you guys are so bent on making alliances with foreign powers and coming under the power of foreign powers. And you, you guys, okay, you want foreign powers? Fine. But you know what? I'm going to use the foreign powers to save you, not right. just to condemn you. You know, and, and, and that's that all the time. That's exactly it. And so even even as he goes and he lets us, you know, run away from home and, and squander his blessings, he's going to use those very things, those very sinful things that we've chosen to bring about our own salvation. And, and as you were just, you know, uh, very beautifully expounding on, you know, our Lord's crucifixion, I mean, I mean, th there he is actually, again, using foreign powers, you know, I mean, using Pontius Pilate, right, using the Romans, yep. using foreign powers, using brutality and evil and mercilessness and all the rest to bring us salvation in a bigger, in a bigger way, but in a way that it fits the same pattern. Exactly. This is what God does. Right. All the way from the start. Well, let's go at, I, I know, um, much more could be said about that, but I really do this, this last, these last three verses, they're just, they're just juicy here. And especially the last verse, it's just, it's, I think it's one that really just kind of, um, you know, like I said, it's in the public imagination because it's a phrase that we're all that we've all heard before. So let's look at these last three verses here. This is a strong ending here to the chapter in 48. So picking it up at verse 20. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And, uh, of course, the, the phrasing that we might be more accustomed to is, there is no rest for the wicked. And that's... Um, I feel like that, that's a, it seems to be a phrase that you see like again and again in really contemporary settings too. Like I think that there was a whole song on that in, um, in the musical wicked, which was a very fun musical. Right. But like that, no rest for the wicked that they, they, they kind of play on that whole thing about, you know, what does it mean to be wicked? You know, there's that, there's that cage, the elephant song, like there ain't no rest for the wicked until we close our eyes for good. Right? I mean, like people are constantly, playing on this 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 very memorable line there's no rest for the wicked there's no peace for the wicked what's what's the setting here you know like lest we kind of skip over that and kind of jump into our own contemporary applications what's the point in this case uh, i think the expectation of perfection um the lord is i mean in in uh in 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 yahweh in the lord's uh, scheme, there is no room for any kind of corruption. And uh, if there's going to be uh, any kind of peace, um, all evil will need to be destroyed. All idolatry will need to be destroyed. Uh, it, nothing can be left. It has to be gone. And, uh, and uh, this is his, I think, I think 
this his way of saying this is that pursuit that he has. He wants his people, and he wants them holy. Um, this is this is his goal, and uh, this is what he did when he sent Jesus to die on a cross. Uh, he paid the price for the sins of who? The whole world to right. destroy evil, to destroy sin, to destroy uh, death, to take the power of death away, which is sin. And uh, right. so. And, you know, as a pastor, I end my sermons generally with the peace that passes all understanding. Yeah. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Where, what is that peace? Well, that peace is all your sins are forgiven. Justice Amen. has been paid, and you are safe in the hands of your God. A- a- amen. By saying there is no peace for the wicked, this is God's way of saying, and I want peace for you. You know, I want peace for my people. And so, I mean, that's why he's saying, you know, get out of there. Get out of Babylon. Get out from Chaldea. You know, because, I mean, you got to see this in verse 21. Don't just skip over it. The the situation is he's telling them, basically, get out of Babylon. Cyrus is coming. This is your chance, right? Go back to Judah. And they're like, but life's so nice here. This is is Babylon. This is like, you know, the United States of America. I mean, like for them, right? Let's not go back to a third world country. Um, it's going to be so hard out there in the wilderness. But here's, here's God saying, like, hey, guys, you know, even when you actually were in the wilderness, literally, I took care of you with Moses. I took care of you guys that whole time. It's going to be fine. But here in this place in Babylon, as good as it might seem, and even though, yeah, they're wealthy and they have lots of education and all these other refinements, right, there's not going to be peace here. There is no peace. You could translate this. Uh, this is, in fact, actually how the oldest translation of the Old Testament translates this. There's no peace among the wicked. There is no peace in this right. place. Go yeah. to the place I'm showing you. Go to where my word is. There is peace. I mean, and right. such a such a strong juxtaposition there. And so, I mean, it's just a... Yeah, go go to where my word is. That's the only way you're going to have peace. If you want to be salt and light, it's going to be awfully hard if you stay here in the place of salt and lights, right? I mean, it's to, to kind of put it in a more contemporary phrasing. Like, it's just, you know, when you're here with all the sights and the sounds and the distractions and all the temptations, like, it, that's just not going to give you peace. It seems like it will, but peace is not consistent in all those riches. It's consistent in every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as we live this life of tribulation, we know that this is not our home. We know that there is a home that the Lord is preparing for us, and we look to that. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you so much for having you on. Fantastic having you on this first time. Got to have you on again soon. And a happy Thanksgiving to you and everyone in your family up in uh, Wapaton. Thank you very much, and uh, (laughs) happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Matt Tuman, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Wapton, North Dakota. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Till next time, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.